We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Bridgerson and Jasmine Holnut. And we're in the studio recording another episode of Women Worth Knowing. Women Worth Knowing. <laughs> That's because the women that we highlight, we think you should know. Yes. They've got value. Um, in mm. a couple weeks, we're going to talk about some women that were a little um, less <laughs> than stalwart, yeah. but they're worth knowing. Yes. Uh, kind of to watch out and not fall into those pitfalls. Mm-hmm. But today, mm. we're going to talk about a woman who's worth knowing to follow the example of. Yes, definitely. Because she's absolutely amazing. We're mm-hmm. kind of um, continuing in this um, women kind of that uh, were rose up out of um, the Civil War. Yeah, Civil War era. But you know what? I had never heard of this woman. Yeah. I, I had never heard of, and Jasmine is going to be telling mm-hmm. us the story of Eliza Davis George. Mm-hmm. And what I did is, because Jasmine gave me the name, I looked it up on the internet, and I'm like, <laughs> where have you been, Eliza, I know. all my life? This is incredible. <laughs> so, Jasmine, yes. tell us about Eliza. All right. Well, Cheryl, Eliza Davis George, uh, she was born in 1879 in Bastrop County, Texas. She was the third of 11 children. She was born to Lit and Jane Davis, and they were former slaves. So this is interesting. You know, we've talked a lot, like you Mm -hmm. said, the Civil War era. Now we're coming out of that era. And so her parents had actually married during the slave era in 1855, before the war and all of that. But they won their freedom with the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. And so Jane was a praying woman, and she loved the Lord, and she really wanted to see her brothers and sisters in Africa. That was a desire of her heart. Not everybody felt that way, but she Mm -hmm. really uh, wanted to go to Africa someday. And it's kind of cool because it's like the, I think the Lord like passed that desire on to uh, Eliza, as we're going to see. So Mm -hmm. uh, her dad was a gambling man. He was not really into the things of God. And Jane was dismayed by this. And then one day uh, he was driving the mistress of the plantation. This is before, Mm -hmm. while they were still slaves. Uh, driving her to a meeting held by Iris Sankey, interestingly enough. Oh, wow. I know. So we're going like so D.L. Moody. This so Iris been... Sankey worked with D.L. Moody. Yes, And he exactly. was the one who wrote so many hymns. Yes. Yeah, he was like the worship leader. And right. he was speaking, which is interesting. Right. That's not normal yes. for him. But uh, so her dad's like trying to nap outside during the meeting, but he kind of hears the message through the window. And Iris Sankey, Iris Sankey quotes Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And then for some reason, he specifically called out the men who were gambling and talked about their praying wives and uh, what a struggle that must be for these women. And and so he was really offended. And he's like, did my wife arrange for me to hear that? You know, he starts to get suspicious of her. And so he'd been going to church just to keep the peace in the family. Uh, and that Sunday, the same message on gambling comes up. And so he gets up in the middle of the service. He's like, he looks at her and he's like, I've had enough of this. I know. And, you know, we hear that story all the time in people's testimonies where they're like, did you tell the pastor about me? How did he know about my sin? And she's looking at him so confused and he gets up to leave. And it was like the spirit of God came upon him. He falls on his knees sobbing um, and just crying out for mercy, runs out to the church cemetery out in the yard and spends the entire day and evening at the gravesite of one of his gambling friends who had died. And so he gets, it's kind of this radical, you know, salvation moment. And he becomes a deacon in the Baptist church. He becomes a preacher. And so Eliza comes from this 
you know, radical godly heritage. And she got saved at 16 after a series of revival meetings. And her parents really felt like God had a call on her life. And so they tried to, they scrimped and saved to send her to school whenever possible. Again, this is after the war. Okay, but I've got to say this because mm. even after the war, um, it was amazing that she was able to go to school. Yes, it was still challenging. Because yeah. of the segregation, yes. because of the laws against uh, blacks. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, the only jobs that uh, that uh, black people could get in those days were usually cotton picking or yep. cleaning houses or watching Maids. babies. Yep, exactly. And they got meager wages for that. So the fact that her parents were able to raise this money and mm. that she kept her grades up. Yeah. And I mean, it's like that's that tells how intelligent she was. Yes, she was so smart. Dedicated. She was. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And that's important to realize in her story. I'm glad mm -hmm. you mentioned that because there were obstacles in her life that yep. other people and, you know, we're going to see she was a missionary eventually, but there were obstacles she faced that, you know, other people hadn't because of her, because she was black, because mm -hmm. she had been And she also the kid of was slaves. a cotton worker at times to earn extra money yep. for school. Yeah, she would do whatever she had mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. And so she began to feel the same way that like, man, God has a purpose and mm -hmm. something for my life. And mm -hmm. so it was cute. Even as, you know, as a young woman, um, she had like boys pursuing her and she would often turn them down and say, there's something special God wants me to do. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I don't have mm -hmm. time for you. One time she did let her guard down. There was this boy named Phil who asked her to an ice cream social and she <laughs> thought like, oh, Phil. And then she started hearing about him from other girls like, oh yeah, Phil told me he loves me. And then her dad finds out that he was actually married and no. had a kid no. that he had left behind. I mean, no. so she was like, okay, for, for her, that kind of confirmed like, yes. okay, I am just going to avoid boys. This is ridiculous. I'm going to focus on what God has called me to do. <laughs> so um, she, at age 20, was able to enroll at Guadalupe College. Like Cheryl mentioned, that mm -hmm. was a big deal. This was not just a, oh, cool, she went to school. It was huge. And uh, this was a teacher training school. And so um, there were, again, continued obstacles. Um, there were hardships. Her brother, died. Willie, died during this season. So there was a time where she's like, Lord, do you want me to be in school or with my family helping them? But she kept feeling like God would providing. And her parents insisted, no, mm -hmm. God has a plan for you. Go to school. So she finishes her education at Central Texas College. And then uh, she stayed on faculty and, and served as kind of a matron, which was really just kind mm -hmm. of like a a glorified maid in a way. Uh, one day, though, in the chapel service, it was February 1911, uh, Reverend Hill, he was leading prayer for different parts of the world. And all of a sudden, Liza, Eliza had a vision of Africans going before the judgment seat of Christ, weeping and saying, no one ever told us that you died for us. And so she was so rocked by this that 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 was the moment really when her mother's passion became hers. And she really felt that call to go back to Africa herself. But when she mentioned it to the president of the school, he said, oh, Eliza, there's such a need here on the home front. African-Americans have it worse off than people in Africa. They're free. They're able to do so many things. You know, you need to be here and be a representative also, of your people. There had never been an African-American no. missionary. I mean, except Woman. for, <laughs> right, except for we talked about Amanda Berry Smith yeah, 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 a couple yeah. of weeks. But she hadn't, she had gone there inadvertently. Yeah, exactly. But somebody actually applying to a mission yes, board exactly. and going, it had never happened no, with the African-American community. Yeah, exactly. Especially somewhere like Texas. You know, you're still yeah. in the deep and south. Especially Americans. I mean, mm -hmm. it was more common in England. But among, you know, like Mary Slessers sure. and other, but this was revolutionary. This really was. And so mm -hmm. they were kind of, 
dismissive of her, um, you know, mm-hmm. not just the president, but the other staff and faculty. And so, you know, for two years, she kept trying to bring this up and nobody listened to her, but she really felt like this was a call from God. Um, and so Eliza, you know, they said, you know what, we're going to stand between you and any financial assistance. We're not going to, we're going to block it. But Eliza thought to herself, well, you don't stand between me and my God. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> again, her, we're going to continue to see this. She was undeterred, I mean, mm-hmm. by anything. And so finally, the board agreed to have a special meeting so she could explain her reasons for going. And as she started to explain, she could just see the defiance in their eyes. But she made her presentation and she ended with a, a little poem that she had written about the call. And, you know, just the fact that, hey, you know, Jesus came down to earth, you know, and humbled himself and went. That's the example we have in Jesus. How can I not do the same? And she watched visibly as the Lord changed their hearts mm. and, and before her very eyes. And so at the end of her speech, everybody applauded. They're like, okay, we'll support you. And so it was just, a, you know, a, the, the Holy Spirit just moved. Uh, kind of like when William Carey first went on the mm-hmm. mission field. There was Absolutely. that visible change. Yes. Uh, so December of 1913, she's off for Liberia. Uh, And she arrived in Monrovia, the capital city, uh, January 1914. And she was assigned to go serve with the Inland Tribes with a gal named Susie Taylor. But she's 34. She's in her 30s at this point. Yes, Yes. that's important to know. I mean, think about that. She's been Mm -hmm. in school. She's been waiting. And finally, at 34, at 20, you know, at 16, she's saved. Mm -hmm. 20, she kind of feels the call and sets her direction. But 34, she's finally there. It's a long wait. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to overlook that. You know, Mm -hmm. the fact that this had been a burden for some time. So, and just to, you know, give a little brief understanding of of Liberia at this time. Uh, this was, you know, news to me. I learned some things here. So, the first freed slaves actually settled in Liberia in 1820, um, but over half of them died from disease in 6 months. Mm. They just because they were coming mm-hmm. like an, any other American, you know, coming mm-hmm. over and not exposed to these diseases at all. And so this was really hard work because there weren't a lot of skilled laborers. And it's sad because there were some well-meaning people, I think a lot of well-meaning abolitionists, who thought, why don't we send these Africans back to Africa, you know, so they can go back to their people. And they were thinking, well, but they weren't well-funded. People didn't have the foresight to support them in the proper way. Um, So that was kind of a sad fact of the matter. But these people were motivated by their liberty because they were free. They were like, we don't care. We're just going to go for it. And so 1847, Liberia became the first independent African republic. So uh, this was before, well, well before Eliza got there. And so it's interesting because the original goals of the Liberian settlers was to end slavery everywhere, you know, and, and really bring Christianity to Africa. But uh, the tribal people were suspicious of them because, yes, they were all black, but, you know, these were westernized. You know, you have to remember that, you know, they'd been westernized now. And these former slaves coming over from America, they were putting on airs. And they started acting like their southern masters, which was really interesting, acting like the master class and and how that they had seen the masters act on plantations. Uh, they actually started to lord it over the tribal peoples and made it seem like speaking English was necessary in order to be saved. And so, the trappings of Western civilization kind of shrouded the gospel a lot in those early years. And it's kind of interesting. You know, we talk about, you know, racism and all of that, which is legit. But, you know, we also have to remember that there's just human nature and That's people right. wanting to right. rule over other people yeah. and, and have yeah. pride and ego. Yes. It's just in all and of us. It's, it's not um, indicative to any one color, yep. unfortunately. Unfortunately, you know? exactly. Yep. So Eliza and Susie, by the time they get there, they obviously, the next generation had a different heart. 
And she and, and uh, Susie really wanted to empower the tribal peoples and to really uh, minister to them. So they opened the Bible Industrial Academy uh, to teach uh tribal kids to read and the Bible and learn okay. skills. But this is interesting, too, because um, everyone wanted her to settle in Monrovia mm-hmm. because it would have been a little bit easier. Oh, and sure. she insisted. And wasn't this school like 200 miles away from Monrovia? It was crazy. It was so yeah. far. Yeah. Yeah. It was but so she far. wanted to get to the the people that needed it. Yes, exactly. Not the city dwellers. You exactly. Know? So I think that's important, too, because it's like it was a crazy um Amount of of miles away from the oh, capital. Yeah, it would. Yeah, and she would, and then you'd have to walk. Right. I mean, right. it was it was yes. really this was not just an easy little journey. And so, um, but she, yeah, again, she knew the desperate need of the inland peoples. We see that with a lot of these pioneer yes. missionaries. They wanted to go further in. And so, I've got a quote. Oh, yes. So within two years of ministry, mm-hmm. she had over fifty students and had seen over one thousand African villagers yes. come to Christ. Crazy. It was right. it was like fruit falling off the tree. It was mm-hmm. ready for the harvest. But and also so, at that time, mm-hmm. Susie Taylor yes. got fevers. Yeah, she started really now, struggling with malaria. Ta- was Susie Taylor, was she a woman of color or was yeah, she? Yeah, she was as well. Okay. But she, yeah, she just could not get over the malaria. And yeah. so sadly... She had to go. And mm-hmm. um, so this was this was really a sad moment. And so Eliza really kind of took on the mission herself. And it was interesting, too, because originally there were mostly boys coming because the little girls were kind of um, used by their families uh, right. uh, for money because they could right. sell the little girls for as a, with, to get a dowry as right. brides to older men. It was mm-hmm. not— you know, it, it was it was actually kind of yuck, and it wasn't yes. really a good thing. And yes. so, you know, these men would have tons of wives. It wasn't like they cared about these girls. Mm-hmm. And so that grieved Eliza. She didn't know what to do about it, but it was kind of cool, kind of like what happened with Amy Carmichael. She's praying like, Lord, I love working with these boys in the school, but I want to help these girls too. And then one day, a woman brought a baby girl she had rescued and gave her to Eliza to raise, and her name was Maud, and she's going to come into the story later. And so uh, after, again— uh, some fruitful ministry. Susie left. She Eliza's left mothering the kids and running the school. And around this same time, several things began to happen all at once. Uh, first of all, she met C. Thompson George uh, through some mutual friends. And he was a British Guyanese doctor. He traveled a lot. And so, they, you know, she's talking to him and, and with the missionary friends. Um, and he had really um, well, been I burdened. Well, I heard, too, that she was—we um, have to understand, too, that by this time, her mission— organization mm-hmm. that she worked for disbanded. So she that was needed one of the support. things that happened as well. Yeah. yeah and she would be able to stay in Africa and keep ministering. Yeah. Yeah. And, if she didn't marry. Yes. All this stuff happened at once. And so, mm-hmm. you know, she finds out about the the missions board disbanding and they say, you know, sorry, you're gonna have to figure something out. The cool thing is the gal the people, the couple that replaced her were actually really awesome and they became close friends, but Eliza had to move on. Right. So at this time she meets uh C. Thompson George and uh, again, he was talking about how his own uh, conviction—he came under conviction himself. He had been uh, working for a company, in, um, a Portuguese company in Mozambique, and uh, they were uprooting all these villages. And one tribeswoman looked at him and said, hey, you're the same color as me. How can you do this? Yeah, right. And then after that, he went to Mary Moffat Livingston's grave, uh, which was kind of interesting. He visited her grave, and he thought, oh, my goodness, this white woman— gave her life for Africa. And here I am, and, and I won't do David anything Livingston's for my people. Wife, right? Yes, David Livingston's wife. And so it just mm-hmm. wrecked him. And so that's when he vowed to be a missionary himself. So again, Eliza was very friendly because they were all just with mutual friends. Well, two days later, he writes a letter to her and, and asks her to marry him. She's like, whoa, I, whoa, 
not even remotely interested. Uh, for one thing, he was a lot shorter than her. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Also, he was in his late 40s. She was pushing 40 herself by this time, but she still mm -hmm. was kind of like, I don't know, man. And she was like, whoa, I just met you. I was just being nice. You obviously misread this. So it's a little bit gnarly anyway. But because of everything going on, she turned him down. But, um, you know, all this stuff is starting to happen in her life. Again, like you said, with the mission station, it's also World War I at this point. This is 1916. And um, they're starting to feel a lot of the deprivation from the war, um, financial struggles. And, you know, she got in, there was like a flood. All of these things happened. Well, several months later, she was visiting those same missionary friends and she saw Mr. George again. And he didn't say anything about marriage. He just asked her if she would uh, uh, type a manuscript for him of all of his experiences and travels. And as she typed it, she realized that they were very like-minded uh, in their desire to spread the gospel. And so, uh, Shortly after that, when everything was going down in her life, he knew about it. He knew about the mission station. And he said, you know what? I've scouted out an area. And, you know, you really should have a man on the plantation, uh, not on the plantation, a man at the mission, because it's a really rough area among the inland tribes. But I'd be willing if you are. And so this is kind of a, it's an interesting kind of situation and an odd relationship. But she didn't love him. She just felt like maybe this was the Lord's way of keeping her there. And so she said, okay, this must be how I'm going to stay in Liberia because I know I'm not called to go back. So she agreed to marry him January of 1918, and they established Kelton Mission with a farm and a school. Uh, there were 30 kids living there, but then Eliza also went to the surrounding villages to share the gospel, kind of like she had done before. And, you know, just like we see with a lot of the missionaries we've discussed, she would find these tribes people coming up to her. Why didn't you come sooner? Why didn't anyone come tell us sooner about Jesus? And so it was almost like that, the fulfillment of that vision that she had had, um, where, you know, she was able to give them that hope of the gospel. So many people got saved. Now, she started to get malaria a lot um, from all her travels. They were also having financial problems. And this is going to become a problem later. Uh, Mr. George got so stressed out that he started to have a drinking problem. And so, I mean, this is just the reality of some of these a situations. problem, There too. was, oh gosh, yeah. But yeah. this is important to know. None of these people went had perfect lives, you know? That's right. Some of them had messy situations. And yet, she stayed with him for the full 21 years. She, yes. For the sake of the ministry. And mm -hmm. he was... Even with all those, from what I read, he was a good manager. He, yeah, he yeah, managed he everything he well, and yeah. he believed in the mission field. He mm. just wasn't um, upright. He didn't have the yeah, and he didn't yes. have the drive yes. she did. And there was just something lacking there. I mm -hmm. think they were not as you know, maybe as well matched. But uh, yes, she anyway. But so that's sad. But it is good to know these things. Again, mm -hmm. these are flawed, normal people with issues. So. Um, she and her adopted daughter, Maude, went back to the U.S. to raise funds in 1920, and then Mr. George came over eventually. But it was interesting because of the Jim Crow laws, Eliza really felt like she couldn't—she she wanted to just stay in the black churches. She didn't want to draw attention mm -hmm. or anything. And she also felt like Lib Liberia was the responsibility of her people. Mm -hmm. And so she just spoke in black churches, but this was the Great Depression. <laughs> Nobody had money. So she ended up being there for like six years trying to get, you know, the vision mm -hmm. uh, out there. They had some—she and Mr. George had some health problems. It was so hard. And her, uh, when her biographer said—and this is just to give you an idea of what she was dealing with— the disappointments and irritations that compounded on this furlough would have broken a lesser woman. Mother had now been, that's what they called her mother, had now been in the U.S. for six years trying to raise money. The mission in Africa had closed. The children were scattered. The mission board under whom she served showed only half-hearted interest in her work and gave little support. She was 46 years old, ailing, married to a man she didn't understand. 
But her trials were not over. Before the end of 1926, she had to have major surgery. A few months later, her mother died. Then her husband's visa ran out. He had to go to Cuba to re-enter the USA. I mean, all of these things, not to mention, folks, the fact that she was black. I mean, let's not overlook the fact that that in itself was such a huge hindrance. But she was undeterred. This woman was just, I think if you want to use a word to describe her, it was undaunted. And I, and I want to kind of pause to point out um, her prayer life in this, because I think this was the big thing about her, uh, her unwavering ability to not only pray, but praise God. Um, for example, just to give you a couple contrasting examples, uh, one time, uh, years this was down the road, um, she needed funds, and she found out there was a money order waiting for her in Monrovia. And this is kind of like what Cheryl oh, yeah. mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was far. This yes. wasn't like, you know, a 70 miles. It was so far. And she had to get there on foot. That's right. So she and two of her boys, they walked six or seven days. No, it was 200 miles. I'm sorry. Yeah, 200 no, it was, miles. It was, yeah, it was hundreds of miles. They had to walk six or seven days uh, yep. straight in order to get this that mail order. Yeah. I mean, she was. they were all collapsing by the end, only to find out that they had just before she got there returned the money order to send to the sender because nobody had come to claim it in time. It's like, what? I remember when my mom told me that story. She's like, I cried when I read that. I couldn't yeah. believe. And yeah. so, you know, those are one of those moments you think, oh, and then the Lord showed up. Well, no, not in that way. Yeah. But then just to contrast this, because she was like, okay, that's all right. We'll just go home. But Another instance, just to show a contrast, when she needed cataract surgery and had yes. no money, she went to the yes. post office and there was a check for $600. Yes. Sometimes God provided that way. Sometimes yes. he provided yeah. other ways. But what amazed me about her was that she was impervious to her circumstances, yes. whether in good or in bad. She always praised the Lord. And that really spoke to me about the fact that my circumstances should never be the litmus test of my walk right. with the Lord. I'm going to just be all over the place if that's the case. That's right. So if God is God, we but can trust and rely on him. One thing really quickly, though, yeah, yeah. that we didn't mention is when she and her husband returned. Yes. I'm, yes. Coming back to that. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. When they returned to Africa from the United States mm -hmm. from that furlough, mm -hmm. that was only six years. <laughs> only oh, six you years. would say only six years because every single building that they had built had been destroyed by termites. Yes. The termites destroyed everything. The kids were gone. You know, mm -hmm. again, it was mm -hmm. just going back to square one. And so, again, this is where her imperviousness to her circumstances yeah. really shows up. You just see, no matter what, she was a woman of prayer. She uh, held prayer at the mission three times a day without fail. Mm. Uh, quote, when, when, when uh, her biographer said, while other people slept, Eliza prayed. When crises called for fast decisions, Eliza prayed. When things got tougher than usual, she fasted. <laughs> so she just, you know, I mean, again, that was her way. And she had a way of bringing the kids into it with her, encouraging them to pray. Hey, let's partner together, guys, and pray for these needs. And so their education was very basic because she's trying to do it all on her own. But uh, they said that Kelton was one big classroom in Christian living. It was just, it was more about learning to be disciples of Jesus. And she became known, again, throughout the villages. She was, uh, she would minister not just to the kids, but to all the people. They all called her mother. Uh, there was one, one story, um, I'll tell really quick. In, eight, in 1931, a really sick old man was brought to her, and he was at death's door. Uh, but he had had this uh, vision, apparently, this dream about a woman from across the sea 
um, you know, sharing something with him to give him hope. And so somebody said, well, if you find the Bible woman, find mother, you know, maybe she'll be able to help you. And it was so cool because they brought him on a stretcher. I mean, he was dying. Yeah. And the minute he saw Eliza, he looked at her like he recognized her. She wow. was in his dream and he wow. knew. And yeah. so she was able to share the gospel and lead him to Christ. There are all kinds of stories like this. But there's there's a couple of things real quick. Mm. When, she was in, when she was in her 60s, mm-hmm. they wanted to retire her. Yes. And you're going to... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, that was something that had happened. She had, had taken um, some of her adopted kids, yes. right, over to the States to get their training. And so Maude and Sorella and Cecilia, they all went to school So because she wanted to raise them up. She always wanted to raise the kids up, but that, she did, that didn't mean she thought she was leaving. She just thought, right. I'm going to raise them up to come back and work with me. Uh, but unfortunately the missions board said, oh good, you've raised them up. Now you can leave. And so this is almost like a a moment, kind of like what we saw with Granny Brand. Yes. And my mom actually mentioned that. She was just like, isn't this kind of like Granny Brand? I was like, yes, she goes home, but she didn't want to be there. She really felt the burden to go back. That's right. And what was really cool was Eliza finally realized as well, I think this is kind of important, that you know, they were always living hand to mouth and the mission was barely getting by and they could never, you know, get the support from the other black churches at home. She realized maybe I should ask some of the white congregations to help. And what was so cool when she did that, they got so excited to help her. And this is when, I mean, and so it's like, that's how it should be. The body of Christ operating and partnering. She didn't realize they would want to help her. Right. And so that was when things really began to take off. And so uh, when she went back, uh, it was so sweet to see uh, just how the Lord, you know, provided and began to really establish the mission. Um, again, okay, she, wait, she also had a hideous sore on one leg that never healed. Ooh, so I don't remember that. Ooh, well, wow, this is ahead. what it said yeah, that yeah. she went from village to village, mm-hmm. even with this huge sore on her leg, which developed in her like 80s. Mm, And from her 80s to 90s, she continued. And somebody said they expected to see a woman who was like, um, kind of like uh, uh, grumpy. And they said even in her 90s, she was so good humored. Yes, she was very good humored and so radiant. And just the way she... You know, she took that in with the kids and was so gracious with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one story about this girl named Lou had, who had been at the mission, but when Mother George was away, um, she had fallen into sin and gotten pregnant. And so she didn't want to go back to the mission, but her brother said, you need to go back. And so she comes with this peace offering, you know, of a loaf of bread. And Mother opens her arms, hugs Lou, and then she says, oh, Lou, you done me bad. And Lou's like, I know. And she was just broke down. She said, I'll never leave again. And I love this because her biographer said, Eliza had an ability to forgive and encourage new beginnings. She mm. understood the ingrained country ways that made it so difficult for the young Liberians to make mm. a clean break with the past. But she also understood that Jesus taught those caught in sin, go and sin no more. Mm. And so she had a way of bringing out the best in them and believing in them. Hey, the Lord can enable you to do better than this, to mm-hmm. rise above. In fact, it was so cute. There was one boy, he had a stuttering problem, but she always encouraged him when the other kids would make fun of him. He went on to become the deputy speaker of the Liberian House of Representatives. Wow. So, you know, she just was such a, you know. Inspiration. So, yes, an inspiration. She was generous to a fault like Harriet Tubman, where she would give everybody the shirt off her back. And I mean, you know, even to a fault, but it changed people's lives because she was so generous. And so, um, you know, ultimately she, like I said, she started trying to raise up these inland stations. Um, Sadly, at one point, all of it fell apart, which is crazy. After she left, 
and tried to give it over to the girls. Um, one of them, Maude died tragically. The other ones disappeared. And she had to start all over again when she came back in her 60s and 70s and 80s. Uh, finally, she was able to pass the work on um, to one of her boys named Augustus Marwi. They called him Gus. And she really saw that he was the one that God was calling to establish the Elizabeth Native Interior Mission, they, they called it, ENI. And so um, he took it over. And it was so cool. It was like, this was one of those instances where you see, uh, like 1 Corinthians 3, uh, when Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave That's the right. increase. Yes. She had done so much planting. And Gus was able to go in, uh, planting and watering, I guess, and the Lord gave the increase during those years, a huge harvest. In fact, just for example, uh, one missionary visit that he made, uh, they took a missionary visit uh, inland and 30 churches got planted out of that one visit. Uh, 30 new churches, it was crazy. And so, uh, you know, she became very well known. She actually was honored multiple times by the Liberian government for all that uh, she had done for the country of Liberia. And uh, she, was actually on a, they actually did a little documentary program that was narrated by Paul Harvey. Isn't that wow. random? Oh, yeah. I know. And, this and here's the rest yes. of the story. Exactly. If so, you haven't heard Paul Harvey, you won't understand that comment. But some of you might, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a trip. So uh, shortly after her 100th birthday, uh, Mother Eliza went home to be with Jesus, March 8th, 1979. And the Liberian believers said, and I think this is just a great summary of her life. They said, her life was the best commentary of the Bible that we have ever read. I mean, she just lived in yeah. complete but love and submission to the Lord. But she was even traveling in her 90s. Yes, undaunted. And she was so very undaunted. healthy, which yeah. is incredible considering she had had that surgery. She mm -hmm. had this sore, mm -hmm. but she was healthy and of good humored. And it was amazing. Amazing, yeah. yes. Yeah, she stayed. I mean, she. I think she died back at home in Texas, but I mean, she was there in Liberia yes. almost yes. to the bitter end. Yes. So I love her story. Uh, if you want to read her biography, it's called When God Says Go by Lori Lutz. Um, you can also find information on the internet and stuff, yes. but it's a great story. So we definitely yeah. think she's a woman worth knowing. That's what I got. I got some, my excerpts from um, that book. Oh, yes. Perfect. Which yes, is some great like, quotes. just amazing, but I had never heard of her before. I know. But yes. maybe there's other women mm -hmm. that we don't know of, but they know. I was thinking it would be fun to have Andrea. Oh, oh yes. in Liberia. Andrea. Yeah, yeah, Wouldn't yeah. Wouldn't that Hello. be fun sometimes? Yes, they were in Liberia more recent yes. years during yes. the war and so stuff. So we're going to oh, get goodness. her on here, but she's, she's more... Uh, contemporary. So we're still in the Civil War. Yeah, we're we've got a we've back. got a few more women for you uh, coming up next week. So thank you for joining us. And mm -hmm. until we hear from you again, um, Eliza was a woman worth knowing. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut.